Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by Logan and John, as always. I want to give a special shout out to Shaper Tools, sponsoring today's episode. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. As we get started, I wanted to share a couple of comments from last week's episode when we were talking about getting rid of stuff and doubled up tools and things like that. So here we have one EG Blue Suede says, funny to hear the various non-woodworking items that end up being repurposed for our shops. I use an empty tequila bottle for boiled linseed oil and an empty vodka bottle for mineral spirits. For some reason, it still makes me grin when I use them. Uh, Jeff writes, Logan would be proud of me. A big red oak that fell over in our backyard was made into furniture quality hardwood flooring and installed in the living room and dining room almost 20 years ago. Not sure I can say it was a northern red oak as... St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada is but 1.5 degrees farther north in latitude than Des Moines. Uh, Jeff writes, poor John. He's getting rid of all of his stuff that he doesn't use. Logan and Phil reminisce on all the tooling they forgot they have and plan to keep. <laughs> I feel like that hurts a little bit. Uh, Jared writes, being a pressman for 47 years, I, I used a lot of the lint-free Webril wipes over the years. They were used for cleaning the printing plates that wouldn't leave lint that would cause hickeys on the finished products. And Darren writes, Allen wrenches are like power tools for desktop computers and printers. If new ones were never made again, I think we would be good for about 36 years. True, true story. Yeah, it's uh, funny. I got I got a bunch of emails from Pressmen saying, hey, we use those to wipe off the plates. I was like, yeah, I think they were probably for the old letterpress that we had because the, the more modern uh, printing presses have hickey scrubbers on their on right. the press. So you don't need to do, you know, don't even worry about it usually. So. Cool. One week to go, John. Yep. You're closing in. Right. Right down to it. Actually, not even one week, still, just a couple of days. Yeah, a few days. So you got to get through this weekend. So. I still have some big stuff that's hanging around that I don't know if I'm going to be able to get rid of um, before this weekend. So, But there is a lot of white space now in the garage that was not there before. And it feels pretty good. So, Cool. Yeah. So what are, what's the, what are the big items that you got to get rid of yet? Oh, I have a lawnmower that I was going to fix, and I got a new lawnmower for my birthday. So i got to get rid of the old lawnmower. I don't need two lawnmowers so that's hanging around and um, when we moved one of the kids uh, upgraded from a twin bed to a queen bed so I have the twin bed that's been hanging around the garage for the last six months so need to find a new home for that too so rather than just get rid of it yeah so so it was actually a uh, bed that I made for my son it was his first bed out of the crib um, I would have been like 15 years ago. So still in good shape. Just needs to find a new home. Wow. Yeah. Little babies all grows up. Mm -hmm. 
I kind of want to go back to the fact that you got a lawnmower for your birthday. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I bought it for myself and then said, hey, do you want to get me a lawnmower for my birthday? And my wife's like, yes, that sounds great. And I said, good, give me $500 because that's how much the lawnmower was. <laughs> Whenever you get the chance. Whenever you get paid, you know, just, just Venmo me that. Okay. You know? So, but that uh, the lawnmower was still pretty good. I've had it for um, probably twenty years now because we moved. We got it when we moved into our first house, and uh, it got through the last like mowing uh, in November, October, November, and then the the string pull broke on it. So it's fixable. Oh yeah, you that's know. Not but bad. there was a lot of st- yeah, there was a lot of stuff just wearing out, and I was kind of debating whether to get a new one and start fresh. So just did it. All right. I feel I feel like you dad leveled up like three times during that story. Like oh, you yeah. get a lot more for birthday. Flexed. You bought your own birthday present. Yeah. That's awesome. Now I just need like the white uh shoes, yeah. you know, for to with the hiked up socks and Yep. I was thinking more like Birkenstocks and like some raggedy mm-hmm. raggedy spun colt socks to go with yep. it. Yep. Do they make like a mowing croc? You, I mean, Logan, you're I think the croc guy. Cro- every croc is a crocs. mowing croc, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You would just think it'd get slippery in the if the grass is damp at all, or cutting the grass might get. Yeah. That's why. That's why you put the strap back up yeah. for mowing. Four wheel drive. Oh, there. Yep. <laughs> put it in sport mode. Yep. You think they would make some sort of like, uh, like the treads that you could like snap onto the bottom or something chains for it i don't know like like ice fishing chains with their lawn mowing chains yeah yeah yep for your crocs or like just heavily lugged hiking crocs Mm -hmm. yep yeah so i think i've inspired uh my family to kind of get involved with uh getting rid of stuff because uh my parents said they started on it, but they got rid of all 465 things in one day. So it was like, <laughs> I don't know if this is just a Midwest thing, but we have like a spring cleanup day where you can just put a bunch of stuff on the curb and it'll sit there for a few days as uh, people, you know, rummage through and pick out the scrap metal or find their own treasures. And then the the city will come pick it up and dispose of it. So. That's what they were doing. They got kind of cleaned out their garage for the spring. And then my sister texted yesterday and she's like, what am I supposed to do with all these Allen wrenches? Do you just throw them away or, or what? And I was Recycle like, yeah. bin. Yep. 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 And then they can make them into new, new Allen, Allen wrenches. wrenches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's called the circle of life. Yep. No, I, 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 I was unfamiliar with the spring cleanup because we didn't, when I was growing up, that wasn't a thing, but moving here to the Des Moines area, it was, a I don't know. It's like nature's perfect recycling program because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like whenever your trash day is, so like ours is Monday. So starting like Friday night before spring cleanup people just start bringing out stuff and mm-hmm. setting it out. And right about the same time, kind of like vultures over roadkill, you start seeing people trolling up and down the streets. Some people are just driving along, just 
I mean, if anything, it's a study in human nature to see what kind of items mm -hmm. people are tossing. And then you also have the folk that are clearly inspired by American pickers or what I would call the, uh, the scrappers, very similar mm -hmm. to force awakens in tearing apart star destroyers and stuff like that and reselling bits of metal and whatnot. And they have big, huge, it's like usually pickup trucks with a mm -hmm. kind of a rusty trailer on the back and just piled up with swing sets and kettle grills. grills and, and, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if Bed it's frames in, in your, in your suburb, John, for spring cleanup, it always seems like each year has a theme. Like we, we don't announce it or talk about it in advance, but you'd be going along and it's like, wow, this is like mattress year because there are 8,000 mattresses out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, uh, it's not allowed in Ankeny, Iowa. We're better than that. <laughs> I mean, I think that goes without saying when I say Ankeny, Iowa, which I believe Ankeny is like Latin area. for God's country. Is that, is that, am I? Yes, I believe so. Translating yes. that right. Old ink. It's old English. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, I think what they do is they have like, you can go and drop it off at the pool parking lot and they have dumpsters oh, sure. and sort out, you know, the bikes and the wa uh, water heaters and all that stuff in the dumpster. So rather than have it on the curb and have everybody trolling around, it's like you can bring it a weekend and drop it yeah. off. I think that's so how they do it in the city the of Des Moines, traffic. too, is uh, yeah. have they drop off stations and can do yard waste or whatever. And mm -hmm. So we got to go outside the city limits to find our trash, mm -hmm. you know, that way. So. But where Logan is, I think they just burn it in the backyard. That's exactly what we do. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I was telling you guys, I was outside. Uh, I was always telling Phil, I was outside marking out where the shop's going to go, just so I could kind of get a visual of like how everything was laying out. And it was, it's one, it was one of the first, it was this week, earlier this week. It's one of the first days it hasn't rained in like, a week. I mean, it's been a couple of days since it's rained, so everything started to dry out. So I was actually able to walk around without getting all muddy and stuff. And gosh, the amount of glass bottles that the people that used to live where I, there used to be a house on the property, like straddling my neighbor and I's property line. And people just, the people, it's an old farm thing. And Phil, you said that you remember, like, you know, grandparents would have like, the glass dump area where it's like, you know, back in the back of the cow pasture or, you know, yeah. before you got to the cow pasture, there used to be all the glass bottles just went there before there was recycling programs. So I was just the amount of glass that is right out there. I'm like, God, I'm glad my children don't play out there, you know, <laughs> but it's like when I when the shop's all finished, it will be gr that will be graded into some grass. And it's like, I'm gonna have to bring in a bunch of dirt to bury the bottles. I pulled out some really cool, like old, they're probably like, I know a few of them are old VIX bottles because they say VIX and VIX is embossed on them. Um, but like just all these cool old bottles I've kind of pulled out and stuff, the ones that aren't broken. Um, but yes, most of the time we just burn it. Before we burn it, if it won't burn, you just bury it, I guess. I guess that's the way you do it. Okay. So yep. Yeah, see, because I remember exploring my grandparents' farm 
when I was growing up. And there was at kind of the back edge of their property was railroad tracks. And every year, especially in the Midwest, you had to go through the fields and pick stones. That was like the first crop mm -hmm. of the year was mm -hmm. stones. And they would just kind of dump them back where the railroad tracks were. And back in there was, like you said, where all the non-combustible trash went. So it was tin cans yep. and glass bottles and all yep. that kind of stuff. Clearly, they didn't know how to build furnaces because you could just melt it all yeah. down. Right. Right. If you get it hot enough, anything yeah. will burn. Yeah, that's right. We're in the midst of shooting an episode for the TV show, and it's kind of an unusual one in the fact that we're using a plan from Popular Woodworking. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it originally ran in Popular Woodworking as a tool cabinet. But I think it's a pretty sweet wall cabinet all on its own. Mm -hmm. It is. Yes, it would look nice in a bathroom or anywhere, really, but about that size. Yeah, because what is it, like cabinet. three feet tall, plus or minus? Yep. Yep, 24 inches wide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nine, is it nine inches deep, maybe, if that? Yeah, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep enough it'll hold a hand plane. Yeah. So. But yeah, I was kind of excited to see this on the list. It's like, oh, a, a nice little wall cabinet. Those aren't too bad. And then start getting all the wood. It's all solid wood. And then there's several drawers on the inside and dividers. And so there's a lot of wood packed in wood and woodworking packed into it with the doors yeah. and drawers. And well, it's funny. I, I said that to Phil this morning before you even got in, John. It's like. You know, this a little wall camera like this, I think, oh, we'll knock that filming out in a day, right? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty simple cabinet, but there's a lot that goes into that. So I was that was kind of my, my point, I guess, to Phil was there's a lot of good woodworking in that cabinet. Yeah, especially right? when it's, I mean, I guess it, not necessarily because it's solid wood, but because we did solid wood on it, you know, the case joinery Chris did as... Uh, dados and like for the top and bottom to the size was connected with I don't know multiple tenons kind of a thing or yeah. mm -hmm. long stopped dados and tongues or whatever segmented Segment, dado and yeah. tongues yeah <laughs> so and it was a, I mean he did a great job on putting it together and that went surprisingly quickly on it so mm -hmm. and then you did the doors with uh did quite a bit of handwork on it with a rabbit plane and a plow plane and which was kind of yep. fun to see. And then one thing, cause I, it was a few podcasts ago, we were talking about, um, complementary materials and trying to figure out like what would be a good complementary wood for walnut and didn't really come up with a decent answer. I don't think other than walnut. Um, but, on this cabinet, uh, for the door panels, we used some quarter sawn sycamore, which I think the coloring on the sycamore and being quarter sawn and you get that like speckly kind of leopard spotted pattern on it. I think that would look cool with walnut. 
I think it would. And I have noticed as I have been selling a lot of this Cortison Sycamore, the that you color would varies keep more of it? a lot. Well, yeah. Yes <laughs> and no. Like, it always pulls my heartstrings a little bit when I sell some of the wood I've cut. But no, it it's it, I find it interesting that the color varies a lot from board to board on the sycamore, even from the same tree. Like sure. these, these two logs of sycamore I cut were two trees standing next to each other. And I could tell which boards are from which tree because one of the logs was a foot longer than the other. So I have some stuff that's 10 foot, some that's 11. And even boards that are right next to each other will vary. It's like almost like a sycamore tree bark looks kind of streaky. Like it has a lot of different color variants in it. That's exactly what the woods like. It's 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 very weird. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, even looking at the panels here, you know, one panel definitely has a darker tone to it, I think, than the other. Yep. Even though you, they're essentially a book matched set of panels. Yep. So, and then I, and then uh, for pop wood, Dylan did a, a tea cabinet with mm-hmm. bent lamination casework yep and that was out of ash the wood that you hate yeah (laughs) allegedly (laughs) allegedly uh and i think if you like that that ash had a really nice uh brown coloring to it yep and i think that would be a cool complementary wood to walnut as well you know, because yes. then it avoids um, the whole yeah. really stark, like really white with walnut, you know, like you would sometimes see with maple or birch or something, or even like what normally most people would think of that ash wood would usually be a real white yeah. look well, and to it. I don't know if it's the type of ash tree we have around here. So I can, I can point out every, like ash trees to me are very easy to identify even if they don't have leaves on them. Um, but I'm not sure if we have, I know in Iowa we have black ash, green ash, and white ash, I believe. Um, I don't know what the difference between the three, like lumber-wise and stuff. I know they're slightly different weights and stuff. Um, but a f- yeah, a few of these ash trees that I've cut have that really dark, it has to be heartwood, I'm assuming. It has to be the ash heartwood. Um, and I've turned some of it. And my wife, she said something like, can you get more of this to make some stuff out of? And I'm like, it's kind of hit sure. or miss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's because it all looks the same when you cut it, but when it dries, it, it turns a different shade. And in England, they call it olive ash, is what they call hmm. it. It kind of has that olivey color and look to it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a thing over there, um, olive ash, but, um, yeah, it's just, I know, I wish, I wish I could get more of that. No, I just, cause I love it. it cause it adds a little more variation or mm-hmm. I don't know, just a little different appeal to just cause like flat sawn ash is to me kind of hideous looking and yeah sometimes like rift or quarter sawn ash if it doesn't have the that brown streaking or multicolored uh patterning in there can just kind of look like bleached oak to me 
You've heard it here, folks. Yeah. Phil's the one that hates Ash, not me. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Intarsia Ash yeah. that I just don't like. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing with it is like, you know, we were talking about like building a workbench of it. It, it with its planes on and then it's very wild grain and it's got an open grain, so it's very noticeable. So if you build a big project out of it, it's going to be, you know, a bit much. Yeah. But like the little tea cabinet that Dylan just yeah. did, it's a smaller project, so it's yeah. not, you know, so in your face. And... You don't want, yeah, you don't want a whole lot of ash all up in your face. No, you so, don't. You know, <laughs> you just no. don't. No. A little ash goes a long way. So. Uh, there we go. All right, class, simmer, <laughs> simmer down, simmer down. It was right there. It was just. Yep. He just. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, one of my uncles uh, has been a turner for quite a long time, and he makes baseball bats mm-hmm. and does mm-hmm. uses a lot of ash. Although recently, mm-hmm. I think in the last few years, like maple has become the like it material for baseball bats. And he'll, yeah. he makes them for professional players. So it's not, hmm. he does a lot of like commemorative bats and, Stuff like that, yep. but he will make quite a few bats for for use. Yeah, you know, I I just read. I wish I could remember where that was at. I just read a little story on somebody making baseball bats, and it was they would cooper they basically cooper the the blank together. Really. Um, yeah, because then you have all like face grain exposed and something about it, the resonance of it was, was a better bat than a solid ash bat. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, I, ah, I wish I could remember where I, where I, so like you'd put that. it together and almost I, like a fly rod then, huh? Yes. Exa- that's exactly what it was like. Um, which when you think about it, they do that with fly rods because you get a very homogenous spring to it. I mean, you get some different backbone depending on how it's put together but yeah it's it's kind of an interesting way to mm-hmm. uh, approach a bat i feel like i've also seen hickory bats be pretty popular Could be. um feel, feels like they'd be really heavy but mm. yeah you'd think there'd be a lot of science to that you're not just yeah. grabbing a piece of wood off of a pile and like i'm gonna make a bat out of this there'd yeah. be a lot to yeah. the density and grain direction and all that stuff. Well, and I know when when they were starting to switch towards maple bats because of the density, that one of the issues is it with it, and we've experienced in a related sense here, is that when a maple bat breaks, it shatters and there's shards. You know, whereas like an ash bat will, like we've seen it, like it breaks, but it just kind of splinters and stays together-ish, you know, or it's usually two pieces. But, like, a maple bat will just explode. And we've noticed that when making stuff with maple here, that maple can feel really brittle or chippy. Yeah, I've noticed that when we make chairs out of cherry, too, that they (laughs) tend to explode from time to time. Yeah. We're doing that, huh? I will say that the repaired spindle and the new armbow that 
you made ended up working out just fine. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. we did a, for those who don't remember, we did a, for the TV show, did a Windsor, Windsor, Welsh stick chair that had appeared in Woodsmith magazine and made one out of cherry for the show just to contrast with what we did in the magazine. And the finished one looks amazing and is pretty comfortable to sit in. So I'd have to say that it it turned out in spite of the fact that midstream we had that assembly snafu on it. Right. Yep. You can't keep us no. down. We're going to bounce right. back. I want to give a special shout out to Shaper Tools sponsoring today's episode. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. So after you get your shop, are you going to add other buildings to your now developing compound that you have going on there? I don't think I don't think I have room. No? No. Because, no. I mean, you had okay. toyed with the idea of a kiln. Oh, oh that's, that's going to happen. <laughs> I just don't know where it's going to happen. Right. I don't know if it's going to happen outside of the building or if it will happen in the building. Yeah. So, because, I mean, a, a thousand board foot kiln is not very large. I mean, it's basically five foot by five foot by 12 foot. Yeah. So I could, like, sneak that under the stairs. Okay. And it would be fine. All right. Um, so what's your power source on that? Because, I mean, weren't you looking at, like, uh, doing, it, like, a solar kiln or? No, I, I don't have enough south facing to do solar okay. kiln. Um, I would need to do a dehumidification kiln, which is actually a little bit easier to control um they're all easy to ruin lumber except for a solar kiln solar kilns are very passive and you get a relaxation of the lumber every night um but uh dehumidification kilns tend to be a pretty as long as you pay attention to what you're doing they're pretty easy to dry lumber with i I say that tongue-in-cheek you can still really screw up lumber, but you just have to monitor it is the, right. bigger, the bigger thing. So but I mean, so with I, the, I, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I'm not, I'm not terribly concerned about trying to do, um, I know a lot of, a lot of people want kiln dried lumber because it kills any insects in the wood. I'm not terribly concerned about that. Like, meh, come on in little buddy, live in my house with me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're not in a, we're not in a, uh, in a, area that gets like powder post beetles and stuff like that. So those are the ones that will get in your house and really like destroy everything in your house. Um, so I'm not terribly concerned about that. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not one that's going to pump a bunch of heat into the wood. To, the only reason I would ever do that is to like set sap in like softwoods. You know, you get, you get sap to 160, 165 degrees and it will crystallize. So it won't be sticky anymore. Yeah. Um, maybe and if i did that i'd probably set up something in the middle of the cold storage area where it's away from everything and they in case something did combust um, right because as we mentioned oh god it's probably been a year ago i had a buddy in town that had his um shop burned down because of a kiln that he had set up so 
So, but both like a like the dehumidification kiln that you're talking about and a solar kiln are, I don't know, what would you call like a more of a gentle kilning process compared to yes. like a high pressure steam. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes, because the, the goal when you're drying lumber is you put a bunch of wet lump, you know, let's say you put a bunch of wet lumber into a enclosed space. As soon as you start pumping a little bit of heat and um, some dehumidification in there, you raise the ambient humidity of the environment that that lumber is sitting in. So it will only dry to the ambient air's humidity, if that makes sense. So if you put a bunch of 100%, I mean, 100% moisture would, if it has 100% moisture, not there's no such thing, but if you had 100% moisture in there, and you are able to raise the humidity in the room by taking moisture out of that lumber to where the, the relative humidity in that area is 75%, that lumber is not going to go any less than 75%. You've taken water out to increase the ambient humidity. So you'll get to an equilibrium and then you can slowly start reducing the humidity in the environment to gently bring the lumber down. Yeah. So that's, that's really, you're not really, you kind of have to wrap your head around it because you're not really taking moisture out of the wood. You're making the area humid using the wood's moisture, and then you're starting to reduce the ambient moisture. So, yeah. I nerd out on this stuff. Yeah, you do. Science. You guys, Science. You guys got me looped into this again. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah you yep. fooled me again. Well, we're just trying to understand where this all ends. Like... How does it stop? Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it stops with me squished under a log at some point in my life. Because yeah, I kind of feel like there's going to be a time down the road that I'm going to come visit you. And you're just going to be this old guy with big piles of lumber. And you're going to go, you'll still go out and run the sawmill. And whatever <laughs> comes after Facebook yep. and whatever are still going to be selling Yep, absolutely. Crazy logs to with some story yep. behind it. Yep, absolutely. And I will be wearing suspenders. Mm-hmm. So, and Crocs, and Crocs, steel toe <laughs> Crocs. They will happen. That's my goal. Hey, you know, I know those guys over at Brunt uh, Workwear uh-huh. a little bit. I wonder if they would make some Croc style safety boots. Or maybe, maybe like John. I mean, you just got to make an yeah, insert. Maybe like John's yeah. saying with the like with the attach attaching treads. Yeah, you could do. It would be I like mean, they crampons. Make steel toe caps. Or yes. Crocs, where you where just kind of Croc like snaps yeah. in, yep. lock in, kind of like a ski boot, mm-hmm. maybe. And yeah. as squishy as Crocs like, are, it would be it would it would be easy to do. I feel like. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd sure think so. Yeah. Are those armor plated Crocs? Why yes, yes they are. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys realize, like, I want you guys, I want everybody that's watching on YouTube to look out the window. Okay. We are getting, we are getting into croc season now. So, <laughs> yep. you guys joke, time. but man, they're going to get brushed off here pretty quickly. I'm surprised you don't wear the fleece lined winter crocs, honestly. Uh, or do your dogs got to breathe? I, uh, no, I don't like my feet being wet. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, 
like I'll take my I take my shoes off and walk through a stream all day fly fishing. Not an yeah. issue. Like that doesn't bother me. But if I have my feet in shoes, I don't like them being wet. Like as soon Soggy. as yeah, like I don't like if like my my least favorite time of the year is when the snow is all starting to melt and everything you're walking through is slush mm-hmm. and it just seeps through your shoes. Oh, I hate it. And your Jinko jeans are getting all like, <laughs> your Jinko jeans are wicking water bottom. up to your knees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Ugh>. Yes. <laughs> Jinko jeans. That one's for you, Nate Kruka. I think we've talked about this before. <laughs> uh, Since we're at yeah. uh, episode number 114, I feel like I do have to make an apology in general to our uh, audio editor, Nate Kruka, who <laughs> must listen to this. Yeah. God, he's put up with us more than anybody. Everybody else has the option to turn us off. I don't think nope. he does. So. So what's next for Popwood? I know you guys were doing a drill test recently. Oh God, yes. Like tool test. I think the workbench used to do them yeah, fairly. And often, actually, right? shop notes did long ago too. Okay, so tool tests are fun. Like anytime you get to play with new tools, they're fun. Like, but there's always a but. They're a lot of work and they're subjective. Mm-hmm. So. Like we talked about when we were doing these tool tests, um, like we're trying to, we're not trying to necessarily declare a winner or a loser. So this was a 12 volt tool test, a 12 volt drill test. So like comparing every 12 volt drill available ex- with a few exceptions that we couldn't get a hold of, um, but they're subjective. So we're not necessarily trying to declare a winner or a loser. We're trying to give the metrics for each one, like the weight, the height, um, we will give each one the best in class on something like, you know, one particular drill has a better grip than anybody else. Um, one particular drill has, um, you know, more torque than anybody. Um, so people will have to decide for themselves what, what is more important to them. And if you're already tied into a battery uh, system, that will probably weigh pretty heavily on most people too. Um, so yeah, we were doing this drill test um, I think we're going to do more more tool tests, like head-to-head tests like that, because they're very popular. People love them, um, and they're fun to do, and I don't mind doing those. Um, so, yeah, that, that's coming out in the next issue of Popwood, as is the tea cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing some small shop dust collection stuff. So um, kind of a, you know, truly understanding dust collection and looking at the Oneida Supercell high-pressure dust collector. Um kind of installing it and what makes it one of the best ones available in my opinion. Um, I have a little shaker side table I'm doing. So that'll be a nice quick little build that people should be able to put together, I think in at least a day and a half, maybe two days. Um, And chainsaw milling, that was a fun article to shoot. Um, I've done a couple milling articles for both Popwood and Woodsmith done some videos on them. I've done a lot of online articles on milling and people always, always, always ask about chainsaw milling. And, and as I'm out milling for people, people ask me as I'm at their properties, like, what do you think about chainsaw mills? So um, I kind of go through the whole chainsaw mill thing and what um, each, or what the, what the, the pros and cons of a chainsaw mill are. you know, they're much lower cost of entry than a 
sawmill, a portable sawmill, a band sawmill, um, but they're much slower, but they also have bigger capacities. So there's a lot of like, you know, um, pros and cons to them. So um, those are kind of our big, big ones. Thanks. So, so a cha- chainsaw mill has a bigger capacity than it does. Band mill. I didn't realize that. Yeah. For portable, right? Yeah. So, yes, oh. yes. Um, so most portable bandsaw mills max out at thirty-six inch logs. Mm-hmm. Most of them won't cut over twenty-eight inches between the guides. Chainsaw mills, you can get like the chainsaw mill um, that I have will cut like 64 between guides like it'll cut huge pieces Hmm. and you can get bigger you can get eight foot between guides and you use two chainsaw heads to power it um so yeah i mean and it completely depends on what you're doing um like for me who likes to produce lumber not necessarily live edge stuff it's one of those it's good to have in case something comes up that just need to do it it's not my everyday mill because I don't like cutting, you know, slabs. Right. I just, mm-hmm. they don't stack nicely. I just don't care to do them. But man, it's, it is really cool to be able to cut that wide and turn a, you know, four foot diameter log into right. big pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. they also have a huge so. curve. Oh yeah. You know, oh, so God. you are creating, yeah. you know, like six playgrounds worth of mulch every time you. Oh God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you, you're talking at, you're talking about a three-eighths, quarter to a three-eighths inch kerf um, for a chainsaw mill where my bandsaw mill is eighth of an inch. So, you know, you're you're wasting a lot of material and it's slow. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Right. You know, each cut, this pin oak log we did in the photo shoot um, was a tw- 10, 11 foot long log, probably about 11 foot log. Um, 44 inches wide and each cut takes about 10 to 15 minutes wow so it's not fast and each each cut takes a an entire tank of gas and an entire tank of bar oil i I went through two gallons of gas and a gallon of bar oil to mill this log so crazy yeah Hmm. do they make different chains like for like ripping yeah they do versus yep. cross cutting. Yep the the ripping chain. Um, I have a ripping chain on the A80 right now. Um, the ripping chains are more expensive than a standard cross cut chain, but they're much more efficient at wasting away that that end grain cut. But gosh, they're expensive. That the chains are about ninety eight to one hundred and ten bucks a piece. Thanks. Um, yeah, so my buddy just ordered a couple of spools for it, um, and he ordered a hundred foot, hundred feet of chain to cut and make our own, and it was a thousand bucks for that much chain. So, wow. but the same time, if you have a market for that type of lumber, yeah. like I mean, we've all been in the Woodsmith store, and we know mm-hmm. what they charge for slabs that are four foot wide and ten or eleven foot yeah. long. You know, you're talking you know, near and above a thousand dollars per piece. Right. So, yeah. Or like you said, if somebody has, I mean, this isn't everybody, but if you're into milling and you have a bandsaw Mm -hmm. mill, like there are going to be times where you're going to be presented with a log that you really want, but you just can't 
saw it yep. with your bandsaw mill. Correct. But you could basically lop it in half. Hack it apart. And then yep. get it into your bandsaw mill. So you're not necessarily, you wouldn't have to have a chainsaw mill to slab the whole thing, just enough to get your, get it through the band yes. mill. Yeah. Yeah. For like, for example, I had a, a white oak log that my buddy Russ went and picked up for me yesterday um, that Colin and I filmed picking it up. And it was a huge white oak. I mean, it was like 12 foot long and 44 inches at the base. I mean, it was big. Um, it's 44 inches, about three feet up because we cut a couple feet off the base. And man, a, a beautiful white oak log. I, there's no way I could mill it. Now I'm, I'm having Russ mill it for me because he has a swing blade mill that will handle that log, no issue. Um, it's just too big for my mill. But if I didn't have Russ there, I could go in and take three big cuts you know, three 13 inch cuts off that log and put each one of those individually on the hill. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're talking about a log that has, you know, eight or 900 board feet of lumber in it. So it's worth it by right. far. So, well, in for project updates, those of you who are watching on the radio, I finally finished my not so smooth plane where I have a, I'll put a photo of it on the show notes page. I have a beach sole on it, pretty much a walnut body for the rest of it, cherry handle, and I reused a hawk blade from a, a, a Stanley five and a quarter bench plane, which is the same width as a number three, and finally made the lever cap for it. I still need to make a knob to adjust it. I just have a machine screw in there right now. But sharpened up the blade and tried it out, and I'm really surprised with how well it works. Because I was going for like a jack plane, something that gets material smooth enough for you know finishing up with a, a sander or for leveling a panel or something like that. But uh, modeled after one that you have, a Cecil Pierce, mm -hmm. right? crazy yep. style plane and tried it out today and it was really cool to get nice fluffy shavings out of it and i think going into it knowing that i wanted to get like jack plane like quality out of it it was a pleasant surprise to be able to smooth material as well as it does so that mm -hmm. was that was pretty cool yeah. well and i wish more people would pick up plane making or pick up making their own tools because it's so satisfying when it works as good as something you right. can buy, you know, it's just, you get a stupid grin on your face <laughs> when you do it. Yes. I was definitely wearing the stupid grin when I got the, cause I had tried to yep. tried the plane out previously and just the blade needed to be sharpened and it was working okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've got the sole flat, uh, kind of dialed in the, setting with the with the blade and the lever cap and it's super cool i love it you guys got any projects coming up personal projects nothing for john yeah not currently just finishing up my cleanup and then we'll see what i yeah. get into okay no i'm just kind of i'm at the point where it's sawmill and season baby so <laughs> i'm gonna be Right now, I have a lot of lumber to move out of the way so the shop can start. I heard from my builder yesterday, and 
mid-July is when he is expecting to start on it. A little bit later than I was hoping for, but that's fine. Um, I got one more tree to get out of the way and probably eight or nine stumps that need ground. So um, one of which happens to have a grill grate grown into the middle of it. So that'll mm. be fun. So, yeah. So, but nope, other than that, I'm just, I'm trying to, trying to sell a bunch of my lumber. I, I'm trying, I am selling a bunch of my lumber. Um, got a bunch of stuff that's come out of the kiln lately. So the sycamore we used today, um, a bunch of bur oak and some walnut coming out. So, so yeah, it's, it's sawing season for me. So I'll be building, building stuff for the magazines, but I don't have anything personal that I'm working on anytime soon, at least. So, so you finished the uh, doors and drawers for your wife's office then? Oh, fill up. <laughs> No, I did not. That's a that's a that's a future me problem. All right. We would like to know what pro- projects you've kicked off to your future selves and how you're going to feel about those when future self meets past self. So, you can send those comments to our email address woodsmith at woodsmith.com or leave them in the comment section on our YouTube channel. Uh, also, don't forget to check out the show notes page at woodsmith.com slash podcast. Special thanks once again to Shaper Tools for sponsoring today's episode. They have a special deal now on getting the Shaper Origin, that handheld CNC, in your shop for 30 days risk-free. You can check it out at shapertools.com to learn more. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.